0: I, uh that's amazing. If we could have our kiddos, uh, Miss Ashley's got an awesome class for you, nine and under today. It's going to be a fantastic time for you. That song has a special place in my heart as we uh, sang that in Siberia. And it was a beautiful time because the church that we were in that day, we learned the chorus in Russian and sang it. And that whole assembly in there, that building was used for persecution for the pastor who was preaching in there that day. So it was amazing how God works and does miraculous things. Um, anybody been through a storm lately? And uh, I want, why don't you turn in your Bibles real quick to Psalm 107:28 through 31. One of the things I think is very obvious uh, in our lives is every one of us, you're either going into a storm, you're going through a storm, or you're just coming out of a storm, I think is how it goes. And, uh, and how many of you made it, made it through your storm? And it's a beautiful thing coming through on that other side and seeing how God was faithful in that. And, uh, I think that the, the poor misrepresentation we have of the gospel in the church is that, uh, we think we become a believer and that everything's going to come out rosy and everything's going to be perfect in our life. And, uh, Far from that, and uh, one thing that we have hidden inside of us as believers is that we have that friendship with Christ, and that we have eternity in eternity on the inside of us, and that we are living for things much greater than picket fences and big homes. Why don't we open with prayer before we get started. Lord, I just thank you today. What an awesome time of worship. Lord, we just uh, thank you for Sandra pouring her heart out into that song uh, Lord, how great you are. And Lord, as we saw all those lights coming through of how beautifully displayed and how you made everything in the earth, we were fearfully and wonderfully made today, Father. We thank you for your greatness, and we exalt you, Father, and we magnify you, and we praise you, Lord Jesus, because you are bigger than life's problems. Lord, you are bigger than our situations. You are bigger than the biggest giant we could ever face today. God, I just pray and speak against the spirit of fear today and uh, speak against worry and doubt and, and harm. Lord, we just thank you, Father, that you are a protector, that you guide us, and that you uh, lead us beside still waters. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said. Amen. Psalm 107, verse 28. I want you to know today that life's not hopeless for you. Every one of us faces situations that might feel like they're hopeless. Psalm 128 I'm sorry, 107, verse 28 to 31 says, Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and He saved them from their distress. He calmed the storm to a whisper, and He stilled the waves. What a blessing was that stillness as He brought them safely into harbor. Let them praise the Lord for His great love. I think that's an amazing verse for all of us today, that they cry to the Lord. You know, one thing that you have, and this is the beautiful thing about grace is that none of us deserves this safe harbor? Do we? No amount of religion, no amount of goodness, no amount of good deeds could ever get us that kind of safety. That requires uh, that that kind of calmness that we need in our life, and it comes through one man, Jesus Christ. Life is not hopeless. Turn to someone and say, "Life's not hopeless." To be a follower of Christ is to believe that every, everyone's life can be different. When you're dealing with storms of life, the situation you're at, it can be different. I want you to know that. There's another option for all of us. No one is defined by the status of their birth. Our destiny is not limited to our pedigree. Every human being is of equal value to God. No one must remain a prisoner of fate. And I love how that said, Erwin McManus says, No one must remain a prisoner to faith. When we go into our storms and when we go into our situations, one of the things we start to do is we say, Well, this is faith. This is it. And I always tell people, that's why you always have to have heaven in view of your life. Because if you just live for the here and now, then that is your fate, if you will. That is where it's at. But if you're living beyond things, there is something greater for you and life storms in what you're dealing with. By the way, Brooke, it's great to see you this morning. I'm glad you're here. Brooke's been dealing with stuff, and we're just so happy to see you. Talk about storms. We're getting through it. Amen. Sorry, you can hit me later. But anyways. <laughs> Folks, that's why when it comes to life for all of us, by the way, we'll get the PC police out later, the politically correct police out later. But, you know, we're in an election season right now. I don't know if you knew that or not. Amen. It's very hot. It's separating families and friends. And, uh, folks, I'm not, I didn't put the candidates in there. Um, they just are there. But I will tell you that as a church and as a pastor today with the election coming up, I do want to tell you that there are guideposts that you use and that the church can't sit and we can't stick our head in the sand and act like life is going to get better. You have the power of vote, okay? You have a God-given freedom, and I always tell people this, I've said this before behind the pulpit, when we're dealing with storms, and it's a storm right now in America, there's a lot of culture wars going on, and I believe that we as a church need to fight for the hearts and minds of the people. The Bible says this, that we are to cast down every thought and imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And so there's going to be issues that are very biblically speaking to us for life. So when I look at issues, and when I look at candidates, I want to tell you that I'm not looking for the candidate that's going to be the next president of the United States to be Billy Grant. Can I get an amen? I want a commander-in-chief that will uphold the Constitution and that will follow it as best as possible. We have imperfect people that are going to possibly be in this White House. Wouldn't you agree? So what we do with this is I want you to look at issues in the Bible. I want you to look at issues like this life that... That life and we preach this at turning point that's why we have Uh, pregnancy care center come here because we do believe that life comes in the womb, that it comes at conception. We believe this thing. We believe in life. We believe that there are no accidents. There is no fate. There, Every person is special and is created in the image of God. Let me give you a Bible context for this for the PC police out there. The Bible says in Psalm 139 that we were fearfully and that we were wonderfully made. In my mother's womb, you, you knitted me together and you formed me. So when When Steve Lapp goes to the voting booth, I go there not based on some title or some party affiliation. I go there saying, who represents some of the concepts with my biblical moral view in mind, and then I attack that. I look for concepts like what the Bible teaches about marriage. That it's between one man and a woman that when he made Adam and Eve, that he put them together to procreate and to fill the earth do you know that me and my wife we are together and we're married we have four beautiful kids the goal of marriage and the goal of coming together is so that we can give life and spread life and I've got four beautiful children that are going to change the world for Christ Amen. that won't just carry on the heritage in the name of life but will and name the heritage of Jesus Christ. Amen. And for some reason, the church's operation and the church's idea with these social issues, folks, these aren't political issues. They're biblical issues. And we must be loud and we must be pronounced. And I thank God every day, especially for the hotbed topic of abortion. Folks, if you went through that horrible time in your life, and I know people that have, there is forgiveness for that. And God has a purpose and a plan for you, dear one. Know that God has forgiven. And that He loves you. But moving forward, it's interesting that when the pregnancy care center came here and we donated that ultrasound machine, do you realize that life in the womb when mother started realizing that that's not some kind of little embryonic little thing like monster thing in there but that that human life, that that heartbeat is in there and that there's a mind being developed in everything all of a sudden abortions go down isn't that amazing? The mom is given an option and realizes boy there's life in there and there's hope folks I say all that with a general arcing idea that folks there's hope for America there's hope for all the issues in the storm for life, and we don't have to dig our head in the sand and go, Lord, when's the rapture coming? We don't have to do that. We can say, Lord, Thy kingdom come, and Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. So when you vote this year, don't vote with your pocketbook. Vote with your conscience. Vote with biblical understanding and saying, okay, the candidates I'm looking at, what do they believe in? What do they ascribe to? Our Christianity, our faith, must be the foundation by which we go out and do the things we do. But life is not hopeless. And by the way, God raises up teams and He takes ones down. Do you know that? God raises one up and takes one down. And my hope is not in the presidents, it's not in all these senators. My hope is in Jesus Christ. You you won't be so disappointed because you realize that your days are ordered. That's why we're so adamant with that. Turn to someone and say, there's hope. hope. The power of hope. Here's what the power of hope is. Brittany Manning, who wrote Ragamuffin Gospel, says, we've been given so much, eyes to see and hands to touch, a mind to shape ideas, And a heart to beat with love? We've been given God in our souls and Christ in our flesh. We have the power to believe where others deny. To hope where others despair. To love where others hurt. You have the power to hope on someone's behalf right now. Right now, someone in your life is hopeless. Could we get an amen there? Now, they might not be completely out of gas in their tank. They might be barely hanging on. They might be okay with some things. But over here, they get to be hopeless. Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick, Proverbs tells us. So what you can do with the power of this, and the world needs some hope right now. America needs hope. America needs a future in Christ. And as we get driven to our knees and we humble ourselves, and ask God for His mercy and His grace, we will provide a lot of hope for a lot of souls out there. You've been given a lot of hope. You've been given the power to believe. You as a believer today, isn't it funny, we're called believers. Turn to somebody and say, are you a believer? We get the power to believe. The power to believe. Any two are gathered and agree on anything, it shall be done. See, when you get into a situation of problems, of chaos, and you're crying out, that is a great place to be because that's the place at which God can enter in. Here's the great thing, and we relearn, and I'm relearning this, folks. Pastor Steve is relearning the beautiful concept of praying through everything. It's so refreshing that you can pause in the middle of your day and grab someone. You can call someone. Hey, you social media folks, you can get on social media with someone, and you can blow it up, and you can have the world praying for one person in like three seconds. Hot dog. We've got hope. The power to hope. The power to believe where others deny. You say people are going through some situation, they just don't believe it. Don't worry about it if they don't believe it. You believe it. Don't worry about that person right now. Some of us get worried. We're like, well, they just don't believe, Steve. They're just not. No, no, no. You do it for them. You hope for them. You believe for them. And you watch as God produces miracles and he starts to orchestrate events. You know, here's the funny thing with people that are like this and they're like, oh, this stupid Christian, you guys are whack jobs. You're crazy. Fine, keep doing your crazy life. Keep living with your empty soul. But I will pray for you. I will have hope for you. And I will believe for you. We have hope for tomorrow. Isn't it God who says, man, the plans I have for you are a hope and a future? That's from the author and finisher of your faith and my faith. No matter what it is, there's hope there. No matter what it is, there's hope. Hope where others despair. And to love where others hurt. Psalm 107.28 says this, They cried out, Lord, help. And they cried in their trunk. Paul Tillich writes, grace strikes when we are in great pain and are restless. You've ever been restless before, can't get to sleep at night? It strikes when we walk through the dark valley of meaningless and empty life. It strikes when year after year the long for perfection does not appear, when the old compulsions reign within us as they have for decades, when despair destroys all joy and courage, sometimes at that moment a wave of light breaks into the darkness and it's as though a voice were saying, You are accepted. You are accepted. Accepted by that which is greater than you and in the name of which you do not know. Do not ask for the name now. Perhaps you will find it later. Do not try to do anything now. Perhaps later you will do much. Do not seek for anything. Do not intend anything. Simply accept the fact that you are accepted. If that happens to us, we experience grace. See, we are so concerned with the do it yourself culture, the do it yourself warehouse. And we build projects, and we do things, and we finally get it together, and we look at it all, and we go, "That wasn't so good." anybody ever built those projects before? You did it yourself, and you saved some money, but you had to come back and rip it all down and start building all over again. Can I get an amen there? Amen. Get the pro to do it. I want the pro. I want Jesus Christ. I want him to save me. I don't want some bum out there trying to figure out what to do. I don't want someone performing CPR on me that's never done CPR before. Can I see an name in there? <laughs> oh. What is it? Twenty times is it? What are you doing this for? You don't even know what you're doing. See, Christ is the only one that can save us. He's the only one. And we've run to things and we've run to people and we've run to different elements and ideas. We've chased after things and said, you know what, that's the thing that's going to fill it. That's the idea right there. But I want you to know this, that there's a name right now that you don't maybe really know. You might have known about the concept of Jesus and the religious idea, but maybe you don't really know him today. You have not cried out to him and really said, Lord, Jesus said this, taste and see that I am good. Today I want you to put the pet doctrines aside and your ideas about church and what this pastor did and how this church did you this way. And what you think about this, I want you to get to the place of like a little child crying out. You know when that baby cries? Do you know they actually use that? in special forces, they'll play a CD of just a baby crying, the most annoying sound in the world. But it's interesting how a mama knows the baby's crying. And a mom will hear that. And The Bible describes this like Jesus, just like a mother hen collects in her chicks, so does Jesus, bringing you close to him. So when you cry out to God, truly cry out to him, you're going to find an answer. You say, well, I need to cry out to him. What kind of sick God is this that just waits for me to cry out? No, it's you opening your heart and realizing that I need to run after God. The Bible says this in Psalm 46.10. Here's a beautiful place that we get to when we cry out to God. And I love this verse, one of my most favorite verses in the Bible. Be still and know that I'm God. See, at the end of the day, here in America, 2016, coming up on November, we believers need to still ourselves before the throne room of grace and be still. I think it's the hardest thing to be still, isn't it? Isn't it hard to be still? Isn't it hard because we think, man, I just need to busy myself more. I need to busy myself with this and busy myself with that. And there is never, ever a place at which we are still. By the way, that word means no. That word no means to experience. To experience Christ. I didn't say memorize doctrine. I want the practical application for this to be today. For you to experience Christ. The living person. Not an idea, and not a formula, but to say, I experience Christ. You know, one time Keith Green, I've said this before, someone came up to him and said, how do you know God's for real? He said, I know because I talked to him this morning. (laughs) I know he's real. I experienced him. I know God is real because of what he's done in my heart. I know because of what he speaks to me. I know this God. Experience there comes from the verb da'at, which comes from the verb yada, which means to know. Hosea 4.6, you don't have to turn there. But it's an amazing thing about the Scripture, what it says in the New Living Translation. It says, My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. See, we go through life with the storms and the chaos and when we don't know truly who Christ is and what He provides, we get destroyed because we get out from under that safe harbor that God provides. My people are destroyed, another translation says it like this for a lack of knowledge. And for believers, I don't want people knowingly understanding that they're believers and the benefits that they have in Christ. And yet they're being destroyed because they don't really dive into him and don't know what it means to cry out to him. People, it's time for us to get to know Jesus, not only as our Savior, here we go, but also as our friend. Job 42.5, Job said this, and this was when he had gone through all of his storms. You know, everybody knows Job. Everybody knows the situations he went through. And this was at the end of it all, all his questions, all the problems, when his wife basically walked out of him and said, curse God and die. What kind of God would do this to you? And Job 42.5, and I love this verse, Job says, I have heard you by the hearing of my ear, but now I have seen you with my eyes. So you can hear stuff about God in your life. Hear all the testimonies, we hear the big Sandra song. We can hear all that. But do you know that? Have you seen him? Have you experienced him? Jesus speaking to his his disciples, John 14, 21. Let's turn there real quick. Turn to someone and say, I need to get to know this Jesus. See, this Jesus provides safety for everyone. He is no respecter of persons, our Bible declares. I don't get a free pass. I don't get a preferred parking because I'm a pastor. Every person is valuable in the kingdom of God. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. That's, that's kind of the proof in the pudding. You love God, you'll obey God. It's kind of... And because they love me, my Father will love them and I will love them. And the Bible declares it like this, reveal myself to them. It's a combination of to cause, to shine. When you start to have Christ revealed in you, you will shine with God's glory where you go. You will be a different person. You will act differently. You will be a person because it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It can't help but spill out. And everything you do it needs to cause to shine, to come to view, to make visible. It's the self-revelation of Jesus to his believers. What a blessing there is in stillness. I want to ask you today, with all the chaos going on, will the stillness be enough for you? Will stillness be enough? That's kind of our battle weapon for us. If the world's crazy and everything else, then what we can offer is a stillness and a peace that passes all the understanding. By the way, it's interesting kind of how metrics work in church. You know, church is trying to change things up and church is trying to make churches look less like the church. You know, we're trying to make it look more corporate and everything else. And you know what's funny is they've surveyed hundreds and thousands of people and they've asked people, non-believers, people that don't come to church regularly, and they guess what they're looking for? They're looking for churches. They're looking for steeples. They're looking for crosses. They're looking for things. Here's what's happening. The flip that's happening, the dynamic in our culture, is people are looking for things that they grew up with when they were kids. People are trying to come back. And they come back into a church and they go, what place am I even at? They didn't even mention Jesus anymore. But here's what happens when you come into focus and Jesus comes into view. So let's say Jesus provided a miracle for you. He did something amazing and you go, yep, Jesus did that for me. Don't think because some of us have this uh, presupposition that, well, I'll follow Christ when he does this. Or I'll change this, we kind of throw the fleece out. I have no problem with fleeces, but here's what can happen with fleeces. God does it and then we forget about him. So, no, I wouldn't happen. Well, he did. People were following Jesus, and they were all getting hungry, and Jesus blesses them. Remember that part? Feeds them all, and he started to realize that these people's intention wasn't to become disciples. they wanted to be a part of a meal feed program. So Jesus feeds them. And then Jesus has a sermon, and he says it like this: He says, "Unless you drink my body and eat my flesh, you'll have no part with me." And those very same people that experienced the miracle and they were provided for, and God did an amazing thing, those people said, this Jesus is a weirdo, and we're out of here. And I'm all for the miracles and the signs and the wonders. We pray for them every week. God, do something amazing. Show a prophetic word. God, just break forth. But Jesus will ask some difficult and offensive questions to you to determine whether you're truly interested in Him. Or just what He might do for you. Are you ready for this? Because remember, we don't serve a vending machine God. He will often ask what people were willing to leave behind in order to be with Him. Their wealth and their relationships, their professions. Are you willing to do that? You know, let's, Let's bake this out. And practically speaking, I'll never forget I was meeting with a couple. And the gentleman was caught in a relationship you know, people always ask those questions. Should they stay together? Should they be apart? Whatever. I said, I, only God can answer that. I can't, I can't do that. But one thing I said is, if you're going to stick it out, I said, you're going to have to make some changes. And I told the guy, and this is really where the rubber meets the road, are you willing to do these things to make these things work in your life? Are you really, really interested in making sure that your relationship and what you value works? Do you value this? More than that stuff. And I said, you might have to quit your job to get out of the environment you're in. To save your marriage. I've been here for so long. You might have to change your cell phone. You might have to get a new number. You might have to up in and move your situation so that you stay focused on that. And these are the kind of questions we face with Christ. Many are called That's his will. That's his will. And so he asks questions and he says, how interested are you in relationship with me? Do you want me to be your safe harbor or are you just wanting me to get you out of the situation you find yourself in? Sky Jathani writes, one of the diagnostic questions I ask people when determining what posture they are living from is this. What is your treasure? What is the goal and the desire of your life? And what would you give everything to possess? There have been many answers, he writes, but occasionally a person's eye will sharpen and they will answer Christ. He is my treasure. And that's the answer. What would you do right now? What would you give anything to have to go after? The Bible says you will either serve me or you'll serve man. And you, you can't share gods. You can't share allegiances. You can go after this and you can seek after that. But the Bible says this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. Seek God first. Make God your treasure in everything you do in life. And make sure that He is always, always number one in your life. Here's the thing. God only asks one thing from you and me as He saves us. He only asks one thing. Turn sure to someone say, He only asks one thing. Brennan, write, Brennan Manning writes that we are men and women of prayer. That we be men and women of prayer. People who live close to God. People who live, people who, for whom God is everything and for whom God is enough. That is the root of peace. We have that kind of peace when the gracious God is all we seek. So what I want you to do, there's a whole lot of things out there offering to save you today that offer you a sense of peace and some sense of stability. But I want you to know there is one person, not an idea, not a thought, not a doctrine, it's the person of Jesus Christ is extending his hand out to you, and he is desperate to have a relationship with you, and he longs for you to seek after him. Psalm 107.30 says this, once this happens, as we live close to God, and that God is everything and for whom God is enough, Psalm 107.30 said he brought them into a safe harbor. This safe harbor is Jesus Christ. You know what's amazing? Like out in the ocean. We were just out on the ocean this year in California. I love California. Thank God I married a California woman. Amen. <laughs> so we're out there and we're, we're, there's a little harbor in there. We were in Oceanside and it was amazing. We're on the beach there. And then you look over there and there's a beautiful harbor. All the waves, you hear the waves, boo, they're crashing and they're crashing And then you go into this other little harbor and you see people doing that little canoe board standing up. And it's like having little picnics. And then you go over to the ocean and you're like jumping into the wave and everything's crazy. There's the safe harbor and then there's the craziness over here. And he draws us, here's the cool thing, he draws us into the safe harbor for our life. Timothy Keller writes, the essence of sin is, I do not want to have God in my life. That's it. People can pick sins out and petty things that we all do. We all have them. We all sin and fall of the glory of God. We all have our things. But you know what the essence of sin is? It is I do not want to have God in my life. Sin is looking at something else beside God for your salvation. It's putting yourself in the place of God, becoming your own Savior and Lord as it were. You don't have enough plans and you don't have enough strength To get you out of the storms that you're dealing with in your life. That's why the power of addiction and people get involved in all sorts of dependencies. Is because they're not dealing with their storms. I think it's so interesting though the essence of sin is I do not want God in my life. Wasn't that the first thing that the devil did to Eve? He said did God really say this? Don't you believe, man? You're going to become like God. That's the idea. We want to become like God's New age gurus and tree huggers will all tell us that we're, we're it. We're the, we're the thing. I hope we're not. We make a mess of things. We're not doing too good in our evolutionary state, are we, in 2016? We're not getting better, folks. We're getting worse. The atrocities. We have more slaves now than ever in the history of the world. We are not getting better. We're getting smarter, but we're not getting wiser. Acts 17.28 says this, In Him we live, and in Him we move, and in Him we have our being. That was speaking by a spiritual guru when Paul came over to um, uh, these men, these philosophers, and he says, you know what? I see you guys have this altar over here. You guys have tons of gods, tons of these things. That's really cute. But I see this altar you have over here. By golly, it says to the unknown God. He said, I want to tell you something. I know this unknown God. And then he preached his salvation about Jesus Christ. And he gave it all out eloquently. And you know what most of the people said about Paul that day? He's a maniac lunatic. That's what most of them said. Most of the philosophers, because they were bright men. But see, God confounds the wise. And the world doesn't understand the cross. And the Bible says this, the world thinks that the cross is foolishness. But Jesus Christ died on Calvary so that we can have life with him. Let me speak really quick, too, also, to the religious person today. Because we've got to be very careful. We... We get into a place where we we, we think we know it all, and we've got it all packaged together, and we're really clean and we're really good. That's not the idea either in this faith thing. My goal is for you not to be clean and perfect and nice and part your hair like I do. It's not your goal. Thomas Keller writes, there is a religious way to be your own Savior and Lord as well. That is to act as if your good life and moral achievement will eventually require God to bless you and answer your prayers. Watch out. In this case, you are looking to your moral goodness and efforts to give you significance and security. The non-religious people look to sex, money, and power to give them. What is insidious about this is that religious people constantly talk about trusting in God. But if you think your goodness is even contributing to your salvation, then you are actually being your own savior. You are trusting in yourself. Not going to go into depth and in word studies on what Paul said when he said, Our righteousness is as filthy rags. But, folks, this is me. This is all of you. I can't point a finger because all of a sudden, three get this way. But us religious folks have got to get back to the place of humility and say, God, my righteousness, every good act I've done. No matter what I've done, God, it's never good enough. God, I need you to save me. Paul expressed it like this. He said we are being saved. Folks, let me tell you something. There's a whole lot more that God is going to need to save you from. There's a whole lot more in your life right now. as God on earth's thing in us. And he says, Steve, deal with that and work through that. And work through that deep issue, Steve. You need a savior in that. But my goodness will never be good enough. Because if I failed at one commandment, folks, I failed at them all. No matter how good I think I am in my own eyes, and we get into the prayer and we jockey with God and why do the good people suffer? We are all yucky. God brings them a just and unjust alike because He loves us all. Why don't we close our eyes for a moment as we ponder the safe harbor? of Jesus Christ. Today, I don't want you to identify this message as this ironed out salvation call for the lost. I want you to look at this in view of your own life and be introspective and say, God, am I crying out to you like a little child Or am I approaching my daily things and my daily rhythms? I did my quiet time, did my prayer, prayed for blessings on my family, and I go to work. I guess I want to shake some things up in our soul. And awaken the idea that God wants to save us. And He never wants to stop saving us from some of those things and he longs to be that Savior. He longs to forgive you. He longs to give you freedom. He longs to bring you into a safe harbor. You do not have to battle that storm alone today. And you do not have to be a victim. Today my first call with every head bowed and every eye closed... There is only one name under heaven by which we must be saved. It's the name above every name, and His name is Jesus Christ. And today, He longs for you to call out to Him. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're wanting Him to fill your life and your heart, and you're wanting to leave some of that stuff, to truly grab onto Him and say, God, I want to cry out to You, in this dry and thirsty land, I want to be a place of safety in my life. I want to have eternal security and know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Today, if that's you and you say, man, I want to know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, with every head bowed and every right closed, why don't you just raise your hand today? I want to pray with you. This next question now is for us religious folk, and maybe today you thought, "I got it pretty much put together, I'm doing my thing. I'm blessed," and you've lost the edge. You've lost the penitent cry. You've lost the desperation to know Christ at a very deep level. To Get beyond all the religious rigmarole and what you look like and how you appear to people and what you say and what you know. And you cook it all down and you say, God, I want to be like a child to before you. I need you as my Savior. Today, you're saying, Lord, I'm throwing all that off. I'm throwing that cloak of my own self-righteousness. And Jesus, I'm becoming desperate before you once again. I want to give my life to you right now beyond all the religiosity and all the church stuff. Why don't you raise your hand today? I want to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you. The beautiful thing that happens in a spiritual dynamic is God takes our heart of stone and He actually replaces it and He makes it a heart of flesh. He actually gives us spiritual feelings again and we, we cry when Jesus cries, and we rejoice when He rejoices. We actually come in union with Him, and He reveals Himself to us, and a light shines brightly in us. I want to thank you ones that raise your hand, and I want us all to pray this together. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus. Thank, you thank you for what you've done for me. For done for me. And it's so easy in life, so easy in life. For, me for me to forget. For me to forget the cry. For me to forget... To become like a child. Lord, thank you for awakening me. And thank you for drawing me. To a safe harbor. I love you, God. Thank you for revealing yourself. To me. I want to know you more. In Jesus' name. Amen. What a beautiful thing. God being our safe harbor, that we cry out to Him. I think the longer we get into this faith, we realize that there is more and more and more that we need to cry out to God. I love that verse of Scripture. It says, cry out to God and spare not. Let this church be a church of really good criers. Let this church be a church of small little children crying out to God saying, God, help us with this. We don't know what to do but our eyes are upon you. I love that. There's so we're like, Lord, I, have, I don't know what to say. I don't have no answers for this, but God, our eyes are upon you. Amen. Lord, we just thank you for today. God, I thank you for this body of believers. Lord, thank you for your voice that you lead and guide us in all truth. Lord, your word, your promise is my sheep hear my voice and they know me. God, I thank you for people in this place who know you, that experience you, That I haven't memorized charts and graphs, but they're in holy communion with the Savior. Holy Spirit, I pray that you lead and guide us this week. Help us to be a blessing when others around are cursing. Help us to be still when there's chaos. Help us to know you, Jesus. Amen. I love you, love you very much. Have an awesome, awesome, awesome week. And we look forward to what God's going to do as he stacks those Samaritan's Purse shoeboxes to the ceiling this year. Remember, we've got to come up with a hundred, so we've got a lot of work to do. So, God bless you guys real good.